0: Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us.
1: Hello, we're your Marketers in Motion podcast hosts. I'm Josh Janoviak,
0: And I'm Megan Hare.
1: Today's topic, more signal, less noise, finding and focusing on the analytics that matter. As the world goes digital, marketers are inundated with data about customer behavior. To avoid being overwhelmed, we need to have extreme clarity on the business outcomes we are seeking and the analytics that will guide them. Today, we'll talk about best practices to achieve clarity on those objectives, how to find and use the right analytics to measure success.
2: First, before we dive in, we wanna thank all of our amazing sponsors who support our podcast and our entire AMA West Michigan season. So first and foremost, thank you to our podcast sponsor, River City Studios. Uh, They offer recording, mixing, and mastering for podcasts, TV, film, radio, musicians, you name it. So check them out at rivercitystudios.com. We'd also like to thank our annual sponsors, Again, without any of these sponsors, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we, we do at AMA West Michigan. So huge shout out to them. Our gold sponsors, MI Biz, our silver sponsors, PageWorks, Bird and Bird Studio, and Red 66 Marketing. And our bronze sponsors, OFA, Grand Valley State University Conference and Event Planning, and K&J's Apparel and Promotions.
1: One well, as we just kicked off our new fall programming season, we are now kicking off the fourth official season. Fourth, of the Marketers in Motion podcast. Congratulations, Megan.
2: Congratulations to you, Josh. It's so crazy. I can't believe we're in the fourth
1: season. I know. Wow, I, it seems like just yesterday. I know. Well, we are looking for feedback on the podcast, how it's evolved over the past few years. We have a survey link up on the show notes of this podcast. Uh, please complete the survey. It's quick. I think ten questions for a chance to win a ticket to one of our upcoming events. Future AMA members, log on to amawestmichigan.org to join our local West Michigan chapter and make it official. If you're not in West Michigan, visit ama.org or AMA National for information and to find a chapter near you. Free training, certifications, tools, resources, discounts, academic journals, job boards, and networking opportunities, all available for only $150 a year or just $0.41. Day can't
2: beat that. Let's dive into meeting our guests for today because we've got a lot of great content to talk about. So, we're excited to welcome Joel Ombre, owner of Veracity Mine LLC. Now, Joel served in various roles, including market intelligence, strategy, and analytics at Amway Corp for over 26 years. Most recently, he was the lead data analyst in digital analytics within the technology organization. Now, prior to Amway, he served as an intelligence analyst. For the U.S. Customs Service. He hails from Michigan and attended the University of Michigan, and George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Joel.
3: Thank you, Megan. Uh, thank you, Josh. Great to be with you both.
2: Yeah, we're excited to have you. I will tell you, I love, love, love this topic. Um, I think Joel, when you when you spoke to our group um, a week ago. And you had a, a poll in the in the chat asking uh, you know, what does the word data bring up for you? I was one of the ones that said a five with the super happy face uh, because nice. I just yeah, I just love this topic, and I think it's really important. Uh, you know, we're talking about the key concepts in analytics and how to really distill what's important versus what's not and really pull out that meaning, uh, which I think is still still a struggle for individuals today and for businesses. so, before we kind of dive into how you do that, and you've given, you've given some great best practices, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the current landscape of data and some of the challenges and, and why some people kind of just, you know, have a little bit more anxiety when they hear the word data?
3: Sure, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear you're, you're a fan. And, <laughs> but, but I do think you hit the nail on the head in that it is a, a very important topic and some people struggle with it. You know, there's, I think, a variety of comfort levels. There's a variety of skill levels in dealing with data. And part of the reason I conducted the poll right up front was to kind of just get that issue on the table and, and t- take it on head on, um, because we really want to understand what are some of the things that might be driving some of our discomfort, some of our struggle, and can we start to get some insight into what's happening and, and raise the comfort level a little bit And so that was really the goal of polling the audience and saying, you know, how are you guys feeling about data? Uh, Because I think people appreciate its uh, potential and its importance, um, but it can be hard to work with and hard to interpret. So that was part of the reason for that. Mm -hmm. As far as the current landscape, uh, you know, some of the things we talked about, um, as Josh, you said in the introduction, um, the world is becoming increasingly digitized. And I think business people are inundated with a lot of information, uh, and I think that's only gonna get worse. It's not just transactional data that you might see, sales uh, and digital data from things like website visits. Um, you know, increasingly, the objects that we interact with, like um, some of our home appliances, that's generating data that goes back to businesses that uh, gives some idea of how that uh, appliance may be operating. So there's just so much data out there that having so much of it to deal with can really be challenging for folks. As we've talked about uh, last week, uh, sometimes that data is not the best quality or we're not sure uh, how reliable it is. And that is, I think, a a big thing to wrestle with because it can undermine confidence. And the, the key thing is, with all of these challenges, they're designed to help us make decisions to lower risk and to find opportunities. Those decisions are going to happen anyway, whether we have data or not. So one of the reasons I like to talk on this topic is businesses have to make these decisions anyway. It's important to have the best data that we can to help make those decisions because, you know, you have to plan, you have to drive your business forward. You might as well do it with the best data possible. The issue basically is not going away
2: hmm Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, I think you hit the, the nail on the head there too. Like the, right now the data, data isn't a problem in terms of getting it. We have probably too much data. Um, you know, it's again, finding the right things, uh, making sure that your governance issues are in place. Um, you also talked about data not being reality. Can you kind of explain that a little bit?
3: Sure. Sure. Um, and this was something that, um, An old boss told me once, and I think it's a really important concept to understand in that the the data is a representation of reality. It's not reality itself. And because of that, it is subject to, you know, the weaknesses that uh, our systems to collect it may have. So sometimes if, for example, um, you want to understand website traffic or something like that, but there's a technological glitch, and you may not be seeing um, all of the visitors that you're seeing, you still get a number. And you still may think that that's what's happening, but it doesn't necessarily reflect uh, what's truly happening. So um, the analogy that I used in the presentation is uh, maps, which I'm a big fan of maps, because those are representations of reality. And if you think back to many hundreds of years ago, you know we had poor means of collecting this information and displaying it, and maps reflected that. As we get into more sophisticated ways to collect information about the world around us, our maps, you know, became better and better. And now, as we all know, in our phones, we have extremely detailed information about the world around us and we use it to guide, you know, to guide us when we drive down the street, turn by turn from one point to another. So the data that we have in our businesses are a representation of a certain kind of behavior. Um, Maybe it's web traffic, maybe it's feedback from consumers through a survey, uh, maybe it's customer service information that we get from uh, our customer service representatives about what people are calling in about. Um, That is kind of a a window into behavior and attitudes of consumers, um, but it is a representation of that, uh, that reality. It's not the reality itself so i i will
1: chime in and i will say i was a little bit at the opposite end of the number spectrum for you joel so you've kind of got both audiences with megan and i here today and i'm excited about data but it's a little newer to me and a lot of my uh past experience i've kind of been like a a one-man marketing show where i'm doing a little bit of everything and data was kind of always one of those things that was on the side as i had time for it which i know that needs to change. That's a priority. So I guess my question for somebody from my perspective, or for smaller nonprofit organizations, they may just be one-person shows. If you really want to start getting into data, because there is so much of it, and I know you talked a little bit about vanity metrics and what you should be measuring and, and what's you know not important. Where do you start? And if you if you want to etch it into your week and say, okay, I need X amount of hours that I really want to spend on data where should we start with that and how much time should we be spending on that
3: yeah that's a great question uh and i think it's important to understand the perspective of where people sit and where i have worked is mainly in large organizations and i was fortunate in that regard in that you know there were um uh, a lot of specialization in the work so some of the issues that i talk about with data quality i wasn't necessarily involved in Um, fixing that. But, you know, in smaller organizations where you wear many hats, I think that that can be a a real challenge. But to answer your question directly, this speaks to another part of the conversation we had last week in that I think it's very important to understand um, what what I call the organizing principle in the presentation about your business. And you could use framework, but it's basically What is the thing that um, really almost diagrams out the value proposition of your business? Um, And the examples that one of the examples that we talked about last week was the customer journey, Um, you know, from start till they first become aware of your organization to the other end of the spectrum where uh, they have successfully done whatever it is that you want them to do, whether it's buy a product or experience, um, you know, uh, view a video or take a training course or what have you. So really honing in on that critical framework to me is a good place to start because your metrics will will come from that. So if for example, um, acquisition is a challenge for your business, um, that front end might be a metric that you start with, that you focus with. So you've got that frame, you've got that, that idea then to me, it's a discussion with your leadership on what, where are the pain points in that frame? Um, Like I said, if acquisition is an issue, then then maybe that's where you focus your time. Um, If you have a lot of traffic and acquisition is not the problem, but conversion, you know, you you get a lot of folks in, but they don't necessarily make it all the way to converting, whether it's, like I said, watching a video or taking a training course. that may be where your, your focus is. So I would say your first step is really understanding the frame of your organization, the organizing principle, um, and then you can uh, start to think about what metrics should I be watching uh, after that's been defined. And I've talked to my leadership about where in that uh, frame uh, we, we think our focus should be.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I love that you bring up the customer journey too, um, because that can be somewhat of an ambiguous concept and, you know, how do we really use that? And I think this in terms of data is really important to you say, look at the areas within the customer journey and determine what metrics are going to be the most effective in each stage of that journey and then align those with your business uh, goals and objectives to meet those. So I like that kind of mapping mentality that you have there.
3: Right. I, and an important thing, I think, to remember is, um, and, and it can be challenging sometimes, is um, there are multiple uh, components, in, in my opinion, to it. There's a behavioral component, which is, do we see, for example, website visitors? But there's an attitudinal component, too, which is, as people are going through your store, at your website, um, you know, however you've got your business built, as people go through it, how are they feeling? How are they thinking? How are they making decisions? Um, so that kind of brings into the discussion another realm, which is um, market research or conversations that you have with customers. And I think that's important because it, it kind of rounds, helps round out the picture um, of, the, of the customer journey. It's not just mm-hmm. um, strictly um, what they're doing, but it's how they're feeling, how they're thinking. And that can provide some insight into um, whether they leave, whether they purchase, uh, you know, where those metrics might be not as good as you'd like them to be.
2: Absolutely. Well, let's, um, so you, you mentioned some common pitfalls, which I'm sure will will come out as we chat, but you kind of had a, two main buckets that you talked about in your presentation, which was essentially the objectives and then the context uh, of data. So let's start with the objectives. What do we really need to do to set a strong foundation? Um, And let's look at this in the the picture of like a campaign, so a marketing campaign. What do we need to do to make sure that we really are measuring the right things?
3: Right, well, I think the important thing to start with, and this is something that I think I might've mentioned in the conversation we had last week, but um, I don't think perhaps I gave it as much attention as uh, I should have, in that the conversation with the objectives, in my view, is a reflection of the importance of having the analytics folks involved with the team, with the business folks, because the more the analytics team understands the business, the better that they will be able to help the business team come up with good objectives. Now, Josh, to your earlier comment, you know, maybe this is a small organization and they don't necessarily have uh, dedicated analytics teams and people are wearing multiple hats. Um, so it might not apply as, as readily in a small organization. But um, the important thing I think is a very close relationship. If you do have people who are specialized in analytics and people uh, like the marketers or sales, um, that that they work together to come up with these objectives. So that to me is kind of the first step. Um, as we talked about in the uh, discussion last week, there's really three questions that we're talking about here. The first one is, what are you trying to do? Think in terms of a business outcome. The business was a certain way, and then you did this thing, and now the business is different in some way, whether it's a sales increase, whether it's a traffic change, whether it's um, the belief about your brand, um, you know there there was a before and there was an after based on your intervention. So what are you trying to do? How are you trying to do it? What is the intervention that you're doing in the instance that you just described, Megan, uh, a campaign. Mm-hmm. We're putting something out there like advertising. Um, and then how do you know that you're getting results, which is more in line with the analytics portion. But as I mentioned uh, last week, I consider them like a three-legged stool. I really consider them inseparable because, um, they are really interwoven and understanding how you interpret the results really depends on how you are trying to do it and that helps bring clarity to your objectives. You can say in your objectives, we are launching an advertising campaign to increase sales 10% and the advertising campaign is going to consist of email to existing customers and digital ads to new customers. You've You've gotten into the how in a way that's very specific and really helps understand what kind of metrics you're going to need to answer that third question. How do you know you're getting results? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I love, too, that you mentioned, um, I wrote this down, the objective determines the signal versus the noise, which is the the title of your presentation. But the signal being the meaning, right? The meaningful data versus just every piece of data that you can get. Correct.
3: Yes, that's exactly right. and the more specific your objective is, the easier I believe it is to hone in on that signal. That doesn't mean the other metrics aren't important in some context. Um, it's just if you've got to make choices for what you uh, communicate uh, to you know about a campaign in terms of whether it's successful or not, those other metrics, um, I think you can have in your back pocket. they're not necessarily relevant to that question of, are we getting the results that we expected to get?
1: Now, I've got a quick question before we kind of continue on and and talk about, and and I love too, that you have for the objectives, you have an acronym, and then you gave a specific example of a campaign. So I'd like to walk through that and have you um, tell us that in an audible story. But before we do... I'm trying to grasp in my mind, I'm thinking about going out and how I've uh, collected some of these these analytics in the past and again, since I'm a little more on the uh, intermediate side of analytics, are we talking specifically what what tools are we using for this i'm I'm assuming we're talking Google Analytics and we're looking at all of this stuff on our website where we can do conversions and goals and we can drill down to you know where people are coming from. Is that the main tool that when we talk about analytics, you guys are, are referring to here or does it really just depend on the organization? Because I'm sure that some of the big enterprise organizations have really robust tools.
3: Well, yeah, the the tool that you, um, that you use kind of depends on what data set that you're talking about. So I, I gave the example earlier of digital information and that could be Google Analytics, that could be Adobe. There's a variety of, of uh, companies out there that that provide that um, I've also mentioned customer service data or market mm-hmm. research data as well. So there are a variety of tools uh, so Depend in it. So the tool selection will vary a little bit based on what kind of activity that you're doing. Uh, and what type of data do you want to collect about it? Gotcha. Um, like so so my experience is more in the digital area um so it's that it's that click data it's that web data uh-huh. i have had some experience with customer service and market research as well
1: and i and i and i guess my question on that click data then is that i mean is google analytics is that really kind of the the industry norm platform that a lot of other um that is pushing information into other analytics platforms
3: um i don't know if i would call it an industry norm i mean i think it's uh, I don't know the prevalence. I think some of it depends on the size of your organization and the kinds of things that you're looking to collect. Okay. Um, I know there are some robust systems out there. Um, and I, I, personally, um, can't speak to Google analytics in any kind of detail, but, um, I do know that that is in, at least my impression of it is, uh, that's a, perhaps a little bit more accessible, uh, because it's part of the Google suite. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of tools in the Google Suite, so um, I think that that's uh, that's my impression of it, but uh, I can't speak to it uh, from from experience.
2: Okay, I think Joshua, you bring up a good point in saying you know there are, especially if you're in a larger organization, there can be multiple tools that you're using to gather the data. But that's why the objective is even more important because. For me, like it's if you set the objective, you know what metrics you're looking for. You're not wasting all this time kind of going through all these different tools and data sets. Uh, you know, it's really honed in and you're focused. So that's why right. I think it's even more important to to focus on setting the objectives first.
3: Makes yep. sense. Yeah. And and Josh, the acronym, if you're referring to the SMART acronym. Yes. Um, I I've seen that um, uh, in at least to me that is a um, an acronym that uh, stands for specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, mm-hmm. and time-bound. Um, I, I tend to think of that as um, in kind of an HR context. You know, When people talk about their objectives uh, in their role, um, I do think there's some uh, transferability into um, the uh, campaign objectives or the business objectives for a specific activity. Um, but that, to me, is kind of across industries. Uh, one, one way to look at it, one lens to look at objectives through. Uh, that, I think, is, is relevant. But there's probably other ones as well. OK.
2: Well, and speaking of that, I think uh, you, know, you mentioned, when you look at setting your objectives, so what are your core metrics, you really have to match those with the business objective. And then you said, think about the math. You know, of that objective and and really what is going to drive that. And you had this really cool slide where you showed a written out objective, of what you wanted, and then you essentially highlighted each of the areas to show what metrics were representative of those areas and what you would be looking for. Um, I know it's going to be a little bit challenging to talk through that audibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but can you kind of walk I call it I called it visual metrics mapping. Um, you know, what does that look like and and what does that mean?
3: Sure, um, yeah, I, I do think it is, it is useful when you, when you actually write out your objective uh, to go through it and say, um, what are the specific behaviors, the consumer behaviors that uh, are included in this objectives and, and what are the business outcomes? So the example that I think we talked about was, we wanna grow sales 10% in the next two months by increasing our advertising to existing customers through email Attracting new customers on social media. So a consumer behavior would be as a person on social media has clicked on our ad and has come to our website. So that would suggest that um, new visitors from uh social a social media campaign would be the appropriate metric. Um the existing customers through email, so response open rates, response rates on email, those kinds of things I think would be. Um, useful for that, and if you were as you said, we kind of actually physically highlighted each word, mm-hmm. and so the existing customers through email what 's the metric for that? the new customers through social media what 's the metric for that um, and then as as we talked about uh, the math, that to me relates to the business outcome and that in this instance, we use the example of sales so sales can consist of same people buying more it can consist of more people buying um, so if you think about the the, the math associated with that uh, a metric like order size might be relevant so if you're design your campaign to try and get more folks to buy you might look at the number of orders if you design your campaign mainly to get people to buy a larger basket size or a large order size that might be the appropriate metric for it so you might need to kind of you can highlight sales. I mean, going using that visual that we talked about, you can highlight sales, but there's a little bit more complexity behind that compared to some of the other uh, things that we highlighted in that example.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe Josh, uh, we can find that slide and put it up in the the show notes because I just thought it was a really simplistic way to understand your objective and exactly what metrics are contributing to that objective and which ones you need. And I think, you know, whether you're new to data or even seasoned in data, it's just a nice way to lay it out and a great way to kind of talk to your stakeholders too and say, this is exactly what we were trying to do. Here's how these all played in these different components.
3: Yeah, and I think um, I, I, like, I like the word simple, perhaps a little bit better than simplistic. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, especially if you're in a complex organization, uh, there's a really high value placed on simple. The ability to mm-hmm. take complex subjects and display them in a way that's simple but but not necessarily simplistic, uh, I think is quite valuable. And mm-hmm. that's something that uh, I hope that you know this kind of approach uh, illustrates for people.
1: Yeah, and we can definitely, I know the graphic you're talking about because it, it made a lot of sense to me too, uh, especially you had the slide and then then you kind of mapped out in color form how the colors corresponded to um, to the different analytics that you'd be looking for, and how you match those up. So we'll get a we'll get a copy of that. We'll put that in the show notes for the podcast, so people can check that out. So let's talk a little bit then about uh, the context and interpretation of of the data, because that is fascinating as well. For example, COVID. I mean, that's changed everything for the last couple of years. So no matter who you were. Uh, chances are that your industry was disrupted in some way, somehow, which of course, uh, you know, could could make all of your data different than it's been over the last ten years. So, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about the context and interpretation, and and how the context can really impact the data and trends.
3: Sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and, and COVID is a is a, a powerful example because it was. So pervasive, right? It affected so many aspects of our lives um, where we could go, um, who we could interact with. Um, and when we weren't doing that, the kinds of things we were doing, uh, like I talked about uh, earlier with Megan, you know, the, the jigsaw puzzles that, uh, that we worked on last year. Um, but from a business perspective, uh, it, there was, it had so many powerful influences on a lot of ways that businesses operate, how they interact with their customers how their supply chains worked or didn't work, um, and how the uh, staff, uh, you know some of their staffing uh, had to change. And not just the, the, the staffing themselves, but some of the things that they had to do, whether you used to wait tables and now you work a pickup window. Um, so to me, it, it's a good example of the potential power for context, but it's a bit, hopefully, of a rare type of event. Um, the other context in relatively normal times that I think we need to think about, um, when you do a, a business activity, some of the environmental factors or contextual factors around it have to do with things like time. Have you done this before? Um, what, did, what were the results that you got the last time that you did this? Um, geography. Um, if you have a, uh, a campaign and you're promoting a certain kind of product, are you seeing different results in different parts of your market? Whether it's different states or different cities or, or those types of things. Uh, your product lines, if your promotion is spanning multiple product lines, um, are some uh, seemingly more res- you know, getting more response than others? Um, things like competition and marketing support. If you launch a campaign at the same time that your competitors are doing something uh, that is significant for them and they're taking a little bit of the oxygen out of the market, does that affect, you know, uh, the success of what you're doing? Um, and marketing activities, you know, are you supporting this the way that you typically support something of that size? So it sets up what I characterize as um, the insights paradox, which is the interpretation of the metrics, the interpretation of the data, in some ways is really enhanced by things that are outside of the metrics. Um, you don't. You, know, you see the metrics and, and you understand that you know, this went up 10%, or this went down 10%, or this changed in this way. Uh, it speaks to the why, it speaks to why did that happen? And some of those factors may be inside, you know, in the market, in the industry, uh, you know, influenced by competition, or it may be consumers are feeling a certain way based on things that they're experiencing that they didn't experience before our price is higher in the market typically and so consumers might be a little bit more uh, value conscious or price sensitive Um, so there's a variety of things but it's really those things outside of the metrics that help uh, help you determine meaning for the metrics themselves
2: yeah i loved that line joel because i think sometimes we can get data tunnel vision and we just focus on what's in front of us and the numbers and what those mean but you know really as you said stepping outside of the box to not only look at the context but are there also trends that are happening you know within multiple times that you're running or have multiple sets of data um, for different campaigns and things like that and seeing what is actually happening yep
1: and joel i think you need to share your the the pizza example because i i think uh, <laughs> that that helped put the context no it was it was a great visual that it was I, a good example i'll, I'll never yeah. forget
3: yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's been I think that's been floating around uh, uh, as a as a meme for a while. Um, but yeah, that that visual of a slice of pizza on a dinner table as opposed to a slice of pizza laying in the middle of the street, um, you know, the, the pizza looks exactly the same, but um, you know, obviously one's a lot more appetizing the other than the other. It it, it is, I think, uh, you know, just kind of a, a fun tongue in cheek representation of the importance of context. Um, and, but I think it, it it drives home the point, right, and hopefully in a memorable way.
2: Mm-hmm. And one thing, um, you know, we didn't get to this in the objective section, but I think this fits in here nicely when we're looking at context and looking at some of the things like environmental factors and marketing support. You mentioned doing, like, scenario mapping, uh, essentially, when you're setting up the objectives and, and saying, mm-hmm. how are these metrics going to work? What if scenario happens? What if there's overperformance? What if there's underperformance? What if something like, you know, a pandemic happens, like what would that mean? So I think like when you get to the context, you know, to get outside the box, you kind of need to take those scenarios and play those out a little bit.
3: Exactly. Yeah, that's something that um, hopefully is a good exercise you can go through with your team which is let's place ourselves a few months into the future and say, okay, we launched this. And what do we what do we expect it to look like? For us to be able to call it a success, what do we expect it to look like if we call it a failure? Um, what do we? Uh, what would we do if it came close to meeting our objective, uh, or, or meeting our target? Excuse me. Uh, and what decisions might we make if that was the case? So, if it fell short of our target, what would we do? And this, Megan, to your earlier point, this may be something that causes us to bring in some of the other metrics that um, perhaps we didn't look at initially because they may help us diagnose what mm-hmm. happened, why it didn't hit uh, the target that we set for it. So that to me is a, is a good exercise to go through that even before you launch it. So you have a sense of when those numbers do start coming in, uh, it's not brand new. You've experienced those discussions before.
1: Joel, there was a great question in the Q&A that I wanted to touch on again, just with the prevalence of social media and how much weight that we put in metrics on social, uh, basically about how do you weigh the analytics on your website versus all the analytics and uh, activity that, that's happening on on social media. So what's your take on the analytics that are more important?
3: Both of them are important. and And as you say, you have different degrees of control, but one of the things that I think is crucial is as much kind of buzz that you get on social, I think that, that that is good, but how you translate that into business value, I think is important. And I don't think buzz on social media should be an end goal in and of itself. It's, you know, that buzz is for what purpose? Is it to increase the equity in your brand? Is it to increase the visitors on your website and subsequently your conversion? You know. What is what is the purpose of it? So they're distinct, they're important, but I think that relationship is important to really keep in mind.
2: All right, Joel, before we kind of wrap things up with uh, a little bit more getting to know you personally, I did want you to touch on the monitoring of the business health and why that's important. I I loved your your analogy with the health and like the vitals we have for our health versus the, and how that kind of relates to the business. So if you can kind of walk us through that, that'd be great.
3: Sure. I was thinking about this uh, you know, today as getting ready for this, and it reminded me of something that uh, an, an old boss, uh, just a, a really wonderful boss, uh, said to me a long time ago. Um, given the complexity of the business that we were operating in, he said, somewhat out of frustration, I think, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, he said, everything is connected to everything. And um, when I started thinking that through, it. Reminds me of this question of business health because it it really is about systems thinking, right? And I, I was uh, uh, I'm a fan of systems thinking and and did some reading quite some, some a long time ago that was very influential in in how I think about business and um, this concept of our body or our, excuse me our business as a system similar in some ways to how our health is uh, our physical health is a system or a collection of systems. I think is quite relevant, and we've got metrics about our physical health, like blood pressure, respiration, temperature, heart rate, and those metrics operate within certain ranges. And those ranges would suggest to, uh, you know, a professional, a medical professional, that this person is those are in healthy ranges. I think businesses can operate in a similar way in that um, at a certain level of performance, you know, sales activity. These are the norms we might expect for certain kinds of metrics. How many customers are we getting through our doors on a given time frame? Um, what's the uh, purchase, you know, what's the basket size or the, the purchase rate of those customers? And to me, the important thing is understanding those metrics over time. You get a, start to develop a sense of what normal looks like. So in the medical analogy, you know, physicians understand this because there's been lots of studies and they can watch someone's metrics and make sure that they're within those norms that those studies have validated. In in business, once you are watching certain kinds of metrics that you associate with the healthy performance of your business, you start to get a sense, in my opinion, of what normal looks like. So when something might look out of of whack or out of the norm, um, you can perhaps start to ask questions and take a deeper dive and start to say, is there an issue in our business uh, is this a warning signal uh, that the health of our business might be uh, starting to trend in an area that we're not happy with? So that's why I think that analogy is relevant. And that's why I think monitoring business health is so important, because it can provide you some early warnings to things you might want to do proactively rather than waiting until you know, some of the higher level performance metrics like sales uh, are in decline and then you're in kind of a
2: reactive mode. I love that you can you can triage right the kind of immediate sure. things and then maybe do prescriptions for long-term adjustments to the things that you need to fix. I love that. I just had to, you know, throw that healthcare analogy in there too. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh transition into kind of what we call our ending with why, Joel. This is our, our way to to get to know you and what makes you tick. What is your why?
3: Mm. Yes. Um well, it's interesting you ask that because um, I worked with uh, a, a former coworker and friend who I don't know if I can plug him if you guys are cool with that. Plug, yeah, absolutely. Do plug it. him, absolutely, uh, plug him. But um, yeah, his name is Joel Van Kuyken, uh and you know he's another Joel, so I have mm-hmm. a natural affinity for him. Um, but Joel Van Kuyken, and he has an, an organization called C Context LLC, and we talked about. Why statement. He's a fan of Simon Sinek and mm-hmm. uh, knowing your why. And uh, he worked with me and developed a why statement. Uh, and it's to rally people around their shared positive values so that they work together to provide meaningful social good. And that's the thing that motivates me. And that has uh, served as kind of a guide for where I intend to kind of move in my next chapter after I'm retiring from uh, the corporate world. Uh, I'm looking to do more social good. I'm looking to work with nonprofits and I'm looking to um, focus on uh, those types of issues that I think help uh, our society on more of a systemic basis. So that's my why.
1: And I think the second question you, you may have already answered, but maybe you could expand upon it or maybe it's a totally different answer, but who or what inspires you?
3: Yeah, that's, that's a really uh, good question. And, uh, I think the short answer is when I see people really living up to their potential, trying to better themselves, especially if they're overcoming a challenge to do it. Um, and the, perhaps the most recent example, just uh, in August, we saw the Paralympics from Tokyo. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys saw any of that, but yeah. I was inspired. I mean, those athletes are incredible. Um, the things that they've overcome and the high levels of performance that they're achieving just given some of the the physical difficulties that they're uh that they have um I find inspirational so um I think that uh that tells me that whatever obstacles i'm facing i'm I'm probably capable of overcoming them if I just work.
2: I love that all right well transitioning to something a little bit different here uh couple of ways we can ask this so are you currently reading anything or listening to any podcast that you're loving if not tell us about your all-time favorite book or podcast
3: sure um, I'm currently reading something called a book called the deficit myth by hmm. Stephanie Kelton, and um, it is about something called modern monetary theory so I'm sorry I don't mean to put everybody to sleep um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of an homage to my political science roots um, but I think it's an interesting book. I think the, the, one of the more relevant or impactful books that perhaps has some business application that I've read is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Very oh, cool. good one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that, that book. And I think it has applications in your personal life, in your business life. Uh, and I think it's just, it's really powerful. Uh, my favorite podcast is called The Knowledge Project uh, mm. with, with Shane Parrish. And I highly recommend it to anyone, and I have no connection with them. So, um, you know, they're not, I'm not getting a kickback or anything. <laughs> um, and the thing I like about it is Shane Parrish has a series of guests on his podcast with expertise in given areas. And the premise of the podcast is um, some of the toughest problems we have, people are out there figuring them out. So, if you feel like you are banging your head against a wall, um, there are folks out there that are working on some of these things, and he highlights some of them and does it in a very compelling way. so I, I recommend that podcast podcast anyway.
1: Joel, I do have a question on on the data topic of things. Um, are there any resources, be it blogs, podcasts, um, any websites? or if people want to dig a little more into the world of data or, you know, what are some of the trends where people could go to get a little more information and research?
3: Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think some of the more influential things for me personally, um, have been some of the nuts and bolts, what I call the nuts and bolts type things. There's, um, Storytelling with Data is a book that I found very influential. And part of the reason I like it gets back to something, Megan, you mentioned earlier, in mm-hmm. that it's direct, it's simple, and it speaks to, I think, certain realities that um, you experience when you are trying to share information with people. And things like, you have to make it so simple that it involves something called a precognition. It is understandable without thinking about it. If someone has to really devote a lot of mental energy to figure out your visual, you've made it too complex. So that's kind of on the nuts and bolts side. Um, kind of at, at a higher level, I'm trying to, I had one in mind, but it slipped away. Um, let me think about this for a second. Oh, um, the signal and the noise. In fact, um, my presentation title is a riff off that, and it comes from a gentleman named Nate Silver. Um, who I believe was a statistician for the Obama campaign in 2008. And um, it's a little bit more prediction focused, but I think that's an important aspect of analytics uh, is our ability to not only describe what's happening, but to anticipate or predict what's likely to happen in the future based on the metrics that we're seeing. So those are some of the things that impact.
1: Interesting, yeah, and we'll definitely add. I I, re, I wrote all those down. We'll put those in the show notes for the podcast. So if anybody wants to come back and and link to those, um, we'll we'll do that as well. And then uh, last question here, based on what you've learned throughout your career, what is the one piece of advice that you would offer to others?
3: Yeah, um, can I cheat a little bit? Can I give sure. two pieces of advice? Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, because because to me one is for the the, the business consumer of analytics, and one is for the analyst, um, you know, the provider of analytics. Mm -hmm. And so for the analyst, to me, uh, uh, the advice I would give is to seek out roles that force you to experience your client's perspective. Mm. Um, So, you know, I've worked in the analytics space in in various organizations for, you know, for a long time. One of the more powerful experiences was, working in, an, in this was a temporary uh, assignment but working in a, in a part of the organization where I was actually the consumer not the provider and it just changed my perspective and I think it made me a better analyst you know when I went back to to providing that information so um, that to me it really drives home uh, the importance of knowing your customer right that's marketing 101 um, if you can see things from your client's perspective, it, it just really can powerfully change how you do your work. As far as the, the marketing perspective, uh, the one piece of advice I would give is um, for those that have uh, analytics teams that they work with, um, you know, involve them early and help them feel like they're part of the team. Uh, it gets to that, that collaborative and partnering mindset when it comes to that objectives discussion. Um, so I think to the point you mentioned earlier, Josh, um, a- analytics can be set off to the side, even in large organizations with specialized um, roles, but um, it, it doesn't have to be. And from the marketing perspective, and I think, I think it's definitely that way in many organizations that analytics has a seat at the table. Um, I would just emphasize, or I would stress to foster that collaboration as much as possible.
2: Excellent. Both excellent pieces of advice I particularly yeah. I wrote that I wrote that quote down. I love the one about experiencing your customer's perspective. spoke to the the marketer's heart over here. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joel, for joining us today. This was a really great chat. Uh, lots of really great information here. Uh, we always ask if our listeners have additional questions, are you on like LinkedIn social media where can they where can they contact you if they yeah, if they want um, to.
3: I, I am on LinkedIn and they can contact me uh through that uh through Perfect. that messenger service or they can contact me at my email, jtombre at gmail.com. Um, you know, either way is fine. Uh, I'm happy to uh,
1: field whatever
3: questions or comments.
1: Do you have any fun? Uh is your Twitter handle like bad ombre or something like that? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no. Um no, it's not, it's not, but uh when I joined the military many, many, many years ago, um, my drill sergeant uh, liked my name.
2: Uh, oh, I, I can imagine.
3: <laughs> that, is, that is not a good thing. <laughs> what you are some of the... want to attract the drill sergeant's attention.
1: What were some of the contexts in which he used it?
3: Hey, well, pretty much what you said, you know, like, you know, are you a bad hombre? And, gotcha, um, gotcha. You know, you're not... You're you're kind of doomed no matter how you answer that question if you answer that. Did you say sir yes sir? No, I don't remember what I said. But he said, "Why don't you get on the ground, hombre, and give me some ups? Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: That's
3: awesome. Uh, so, I think he uh, wanted to find out you know if I was a tough hombre, or uh-huh. how much I could push here.
2: Uh, yep, yep, yep. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. We really enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, thanks for being our first guest as we kick off our fourth season of Marketers and Yeah. Thank congrats. you. It
1: was my pleasure. Please take our podcast survey, give your feedback on how we're doing, what topics do you love, what would you like to hear more about, what would you like to hear less of. The survey link will be posted on the show notes of this podcast, and you'll have a chance to win a ticket to one of our upcoming events. Don't forget, we always welcome your feedback anytime. Just shoot us an email, podcast at amawestmichigan.org. If you're not yet an AMA member, what are you waiting for? For just $150 a year, you get access to free training, certifications, tools, resources, discounts, academic journals, job boards, and unparalleled networking opportunities. Just log on to amawestmichigan.org to join our local West Michigan chapter. If you're not in West Michigan, visit ama.org for AMA national information and to find a chapter
0: near you. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is AMA.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired, be creative, be bold. Set your marketing in motion.